When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hi, everyone. It's me, Josh. And for this week's SYSK Selects, I've chosen how lethal injection works. Uh, in the holiday spirit, we released this around Christmas of 2013, and it can be a hard one to listen to. But since whenever a person is executed... The state is actually doing it on your behalf, since you're a member of the public. Uh, it's probably best to know what they're doing in your name. Uh, it's an eye-opening one and a sobering one, and I hope uh, it, it means a lot to you, because it did to me. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and this is Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. Greetings. This is not a capital punishment show, no. although we will deal with that, obviously. But uh, we, at some point, will probably do a full episode on capital punishment. I would guess. Don't you imagine? Because we have an article on it, and uh, we're going to touch on it here with lethal injections. Yeah, and just coming across some stuff on the electric, electric chair that to me seems like it deserves yeah. its own episode as well it's because it's so nuts sounds like we're cooking up a sweet yeah the, the capital punishment <laughs> suite we come up with the best sweets don't we well it's a big deal you know it's important i agree to cover you know you know um chuck about 14 hours ago a guy named uh joseph paul franklin i can't remember what he his birth name was, but he legally changed his name to Joseph Paul after, in honor of Joseph Paul Goebbels, uh-huh. the Nazi propagandist. What a nice guy. He must be to change his name to that. <laughs> right. So uh, Missouri just executed him uh, at 12.01 Wednesday, November 19th. Yeah. Was today the 19th or the 20th? I don't know. One of those two. And actually, uh, Hustler publisher Larry Flint was making a big hubbub trying to keep the man from being killed. Which is somewhat ironic, although not really if you followed Larry Flint's career, because he was the man who supposedly shot Larry Flint and paralyzed him for life. Supposedly? Was he not convicted of that? No, he had, he confessed to it. Oh, okay. And it was quite possible the reason that he gave for doing it was because um, Hustler had had some, um, some interracial spread that the guy didn't like. Oh, like, yeah, sure. And he was targeting interracial couples. He, gotcha. he um, shot a couple of black kids in Ohio, I believe. Um, and he was killed in Missouri because he randomly picked St. Louis out of the phone book and w- went and found a synagogue and just sat outside and took shots at people as they came out of a bar mitzvah. 
So he's racist. He's an anti-Semite. He also had serious mental health issues as well. Yeah. Um, and he shot Larry Flint. Okay. Um, but he was executed. And the whole reason that Larry Flint was creating this hubbub about not killing this guy. Yeah. One, Flint had a famous quote from the last news cycle that he didn't think the government should be in the business of killing people. So he's against capital punishment anyway. You going to say it like Larry Flint? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do a very good Larry Flint. You put some marbles in your mouth. Right. Yeah. You going to try? No. Um, so he, he just doesn't think that the death penalty is a good thing. Anyway, right. he's an abolitionist, you would say. Um, and then secondly, he he filed a suit to have the name of the supplier of the drug that was going to be used uh -huh. in the lethal injection revealed, unsealed, because it's secret. And it's not supposed to be secret, but as we'll find out, states recently have had to scramble to come up with the drugs to execute prisoners of the state. Yeah. There's a big thing going on that we'll talk about, but that was the most recent uh, execution in the United States, which makes 35 for the year. And all but one of those were lethal injections, the other one being the electric chair. Yeah, it is uh, fast become the go-to method for most states and many countries. If you're going to get capital punishment uh, going, then yeah. you're probably going to do it by way of lethal injection these days. Yeah, but it's also the newest one, too. And it came out of this, um, this well, basically what amounted to an abolitionist movement in the uh, 1960s and 70s that sought to just get rid of the death penalty. And that was the third major movement in the United States since the late 18th century, where people were just trying to get rid of capital punishment altogether. Yeah, they, uh, they did halt it in 1972 after Supreme Court ruling Furman v. Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, I remember reading about this uh, later, obviously I didn't read in 1972. <laughs> I would have been a very advanced one-year-old. But uh, they said it was cruel and unusual um, under the Eighth Amendment, uh, violating the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution. Yeah. And then, but four years later, they reversed that in Greg versus Georgia and um, said, you know what, maybe that is cruel and unusual, so let's come up with a way that's not. And they came up with lethal injection. Yeah. And the, the reason why that cruel and unusual had a lot of traction was because... Um, there were hangings before, and hangings are very, very messy. Yeah, shootings. If, if the noose isn't right, the yeah. head can pop right off. Or if the neck isn't broken, the person just hangs there and suffocates for a minute or two and then dies. Um, and then the electrocution is really, really awful, too. I was reading a list of botched executions. Yeah. And electrocutions are very frequently botched. People, their heads catch fire, blood comes out of their eyes. It's really awful stuff. Yeah. So there was this idea that the whole point of this is retributive. It's you did something so bad that we as a society have decided that you can't live any longer. But we as a society aren't as cruel as you are. You know, right. The point isn't to make you suffer. It's just to take your life right. and to do it in the most humane way possible. Well, uh, electrocution, hanging, gas chamber, none of those really fit the bill. So somebody came up with the idea of lethal injection. But this wasn't the first time that was proposed. The first time was in uh, the 19th century, I think. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was a guy named uh, Julius Mount Breyer. And he was a doctor out of New York who said... You know, this would work because it'd be efficient, humane, and it would keep the person from having um, some sort of hero status develop around them that sometimes comes from people who are hanged. Gotcha. But they went with electrocution instead. 
Well, in 1982, the U.S. became the first country to use lethal injection. And uh, like we said, since then, it's really become predominant. Um, I think the current number of states that have the death penalty is 32 as of today. Yeah. But it's tough because states are have been repealing it. It's dropping like flies. I don't know about like flies, but maybe like mm, honeybees. <laughs> right. And those are those are states that have taken the possibility of capital punishment off of their books, right? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, 32 are the, is the number that have the death penalty, right? 32 have a death penalty. Okay. Um, not necessarily meaning that they used that in the past year. Right. Necessarily. There's something called de facto abolition, which is basically like, yeah, it's on our books, but it, we haven't used it in so long sure. that we might as well not even have yeah. the death penalty. Um, so, Chuck, like we said, lethal injection is the, it's the most frequently used method in the United States, and it's fast becoming the same around the world. Uh, China picked it up uh, after the United States, and they replaced their shootings. Um, and that kind of led to, it seems like, almost a domino effect throughout Asia of other countries picking it up as well. Yeah, the Philippines, Taiwan, uh, Guatemala, they're in Central America. Um, they have all gone to lethal injection. And right now I have, uh, in 2012, 58 countries used lethal injection in 2012, down from 67 in 2010 uh, and 63 in 2011. Yeah. And 140 countries have outlawed the death penalty worldwide. So, And like you said, states are kind of starting to abolish it. Yeah. Uh, executions are down in general in the United States. Last year, there were 43. This year, like we said, there's been 35, and we're fast closing out the year. Um, but lethal injection is the go-to method of execution, and so we're going to figure out how it works. That's right. Uh, right now, there are 3,108 people as of spring of this year on death row. 98% mm-hmm. uh, are male, of course, because you don't find a lot of females on death row because they're smart enough to not to kill other people, generally speaking. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. Women are much smarter. Um, a lot of these folks have been on death row for decades, uh, waiting to die. Uh, maybe they're working through the appeals process, because that all has to happen first. Mm-hmm. Um, some will die on death row without ever going into an execution chamber. Yeah. It happens. Some people uh, commit or try to commit suicide before the, they can be executed after their appeals run out. Sure. There was a guy in Georgia who almost successfully killed himself. He cut his carotid artery. Wow. Um, with what, I wonder? A razor that oh, a yeah. guard had given him, I guess, to shave with ostensibly. Here, take the razor. <laughs> and the guy, they rushed into the hospital, saved his life, and then executed him a week later. Wow. It's a funny country. <laughs> Um, so you're on death row, you've exhausted your appeals, mm-hmm. um, you're finally going to get that execution order and a date will be set in place for that execution. Um, at this point, you're going to be moved from death row to a place called death watch. Yeah. And that is basically the, that's the last stop. That's your holding area for the last days or weeks. Right. Um, so death watch is both a physical place, like it, it's frequently in the same part of the prison that the, um, execution chamber is located 
or it might be in another prison entirely. Some states yeah. just maintain one execution chamber for the whole state, and it's right. at a certain prison, so you'd be transferred to that place. And then Death Watch also is, supposedly, they're supposed to watch you so you don't commit suicide, um, and it's also your, I think, rights kind of open up a little more. You're, you get visits from people. Um, you, your treatment is a little better. Yeah. I think you, you get a room with a view, as it were. Um, and you you start the preparation of, of dying, of saying goodbye, and of coming to terms with the fact that it's happening. Yeah, you know, the state of Texas has these death watch rooms at, um, on highway exits. Most highway exits. <laughs> You've got your gas station, your subway, and your, and the, oh, yeah. and your death watch room. I believe it. I'm kidding. But Texas executes a lot of people. It does. Texas bears, they execute a lot, but they're not the only ones that have... no. All sorts of weirdness going on. No, Apparently, two no, no. percent of counties account for like fifty to seventy percent of executions in the United States. It just seems like Texas comes up all the time when they're like, "The last time this method was used, or the first time this method was used." Right. It's always Texas. Well, Texas was the first one to use lethal injection. Yeah, like you said, exactly. Um, and yeah, they kill a lot of people there. Yeah, not picking on you, Texas. I love you guys. No, here I've got one, Alabama. Okay. <laughs> in Alabama, uh, it is um, it takes a unanimous jury to hand down a life sentence, but it takes ten of twelve to hand down a death sentence. Really? Yeah. And a judge can overrule um, a jury, a life sentence jury. Yeah, and say no, this person needs a death penalty, and they do it frequently. Interesting. We'll pick on Georgia too in a minute. Okay. Well, Georgia was the one that executed the guy after saving his life after the suicide attempt. All right. Great. Uh, Great. I just want to make sure we doled out enough, you know, embarrassment for each state. So um, you're on death watch. You mm-hmm. can be visited more often, generally by friends and family. No, we're in like the last 24 hours-ish now, right? Yeah. Um, your attorneys, spiritual advisors, you're going to get your last meal. That is not a fallacy. Uh, whatever you want, they'll prepare for you. No, that's not necessarily true. Well, it depends. Generally, they satisfy your desire, but... It, when does it not get satisfied? What state doesn't do that? Texas. Texas. <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, there is a uh, legislation that was passed after this one This one inmate ordered a, a meat lover's pizza, like 24 tacos, like all, like this awesome spread that just reading it, I was like, oh, man, I'm kind of hungry for yeah. this, reading about this, la- this man's last meal, and they didn't eat any of it. Even still, it was probably $200 worth of food. Sure. But it caused enough outrage in the state legislature that they passed the thing where it's like, you can have whatever the prison cafeteria is cooking that night. That's your last meal. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a really great article in Lapham's Quarterly online for free uh-huh. called Last Meal. Go check it out. It's just basically this awesome history and contemporary evaluation of last meals. That's pretty sad. It is, but it's really interesting what sure. it says. Like, there's a guy in Arkansas who was executed in the 90s. His name was Barry Lee Fairchild. And he pointed out that it doesn't make a lot of sense to give a condemned person a last meal. He said it was, quote, like putting gas in a car that don't have no motor. But, like, you have no need to take in food because you have no need to derive the energy from it any longer because you're about to lose your life. Well, it's not about deriving energy. It's about enjoying one last thing. Right. But if you that look at if you look at the capital punishment system, yeah, that's it makes no sense. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I say go read the article. It'll I'm not getting the point across very well. Well, I mean, I see what he's saying, but it's not like 
you got to fuel up for the big day. <laughs> it's like, here, enjoy a steak. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just yeah. saying, like, it flies in the face of the rest of the criminal justice system. Oh, well, sure. Enjoy the steak. Then, <laughs> you know. And time was, they used to get you drunk, like, beforehand. That's what I'm talking about. If you about. were going to get hanged in London, yeah. like, from the prison to the gallows, they would stop and you they'd let you drink as much as you wanted and then would take you super drunk and kill you. Yeah, that's interesting because that could provide a more docile... Um, victim or a really weepy one, which would be really yeah, or like someone who starts causing lots of trouble, you know. Yeah, he wants to fight one last time. Yeah, exactly. Right, but apparently, I read somewhere that they sedate criminals or they condemned here first. Right. So that's kind of like a, a modern incarnation of taking them and getting them drunk, handing them a Valium. Yeah, that's true. You know. Okay, so you've had your last meal, which may or not be awesome, depending on where you live. Yeah. Um, your warden and your chaplain are going to visit. Uh, they're going to stay with you till the end, unless you don't want them there. You can probably refuse any kind of religious associations if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, witnesses, uh, we'll, we'll get to all that, but the witnesses arrive at this point. Um, they're kept away from you, though. They don't get to like walk by and, and say things to you. No, as a matter of fact, Except most witnesses are <laughs> required. Well, in Texas, they can take sh- pot shots at you with yeah. their six shooters. Um, sorry, Texas. Uh, they the, the, the witnesses in, uh, pretty much across the board, I'm sure, are required to be totally silent the whole time they leave yeah. and are brought into the, to the execution area. Yeah, not like the people outside of prisons who are making lots of noise usually. Right, one way or the other. Protest or or kill them, kill them. Yeah. That's the, as ugly as this country gets, man. When what? You, when you see the, the footage of people outside prisons at controversial executions. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Uh, and then your final preparations, uh, they're going to give you uh, clean clothes. Uh, Let you take a to, last shower? Sure. Shower, get dressed, uh, and then connect you to the old EKG, um, which is going to you know let everyone know if you're gone or if you're still with them. Yeah, they they hook the EKG up to you. It's not hooked to anything yet, but they've got it like a. You're on pre-wired. Your, on you exactly. Basically. And then once you're showered and dressed and wired up with an EKG, the warden and the chaplain are hanging out with you. Um, at the predetermined time, they will uh, start to move you into the execution chamber, and um, meanwhile, the the witnesses are there. Yeah. And let's talk about the witnesses. Like w- the fact that there are witnesses at executions is actually the modern incarnation of a very long tradition. Like we used to have public executions in this country. Yeah, like thousands of people would show up. Sometimes they would charge admission, mm-hmm. uh, and eventually that stopped, and only a select number of people were allowed to witness. But well, there's still witnesses. You know, have you read about the last public execution? In I didn't the US? read that book. There was, <laughs> I didn't either. Oh, okay, that's what I thought you were asking. No, no, just about it. Oh, okay. Um, there was a guy named Rainey Bathia in Kentucky who was hanged in 1936 for rape and murder, I think. Um, and his execution was attended by like 20,000 people. Wow. The big reason was it's not because they knew it was the last public execution. I think they decided to stop that after this execution. There was a Kentucky basketball game after? <laughs> yeah. Was that it? Um, the sheriff was a woman. So this oh. is going to be the first execution in U.S. history 
ever conducted by a woman. Gotcha. And people wanted to go see how badly she was going to screw this up. And even though she didn't, <laughs> the press still wrote that she'd fainted, um, that like what? everything had been botched or whatever. But that's why everybody turned out. But there were charges from out-of-town reporters that people were having hanging parties, that they were drunk in the streets partying, that basically there was just a, a sense of revelry that shouldn't attend uh, an execution. Yeah. And that was the last straw for public executions in this country. But it got so. it got the the idea that you need to have other people yeah. witness a death when the state's executing somebody just to make sure it's totally transparent. That was carried on with witnesses today in executions. Yeah, I mean that's part of it too, and part of it is also to give victims closure, uh, the families yeah. that is of victims. Sure, uh, there will be sometimes family members of the prisoner too, and they are. Generally kept apart. Um, not all. Uh, not always. Generally, yeah. yeah. Um, the prison warden is going to be there. Uh, you're going to have medical people on hand, of course, to make sure it all goes as planned. Which is pretty controversial, as we'll find. Uh, you got your spiritual advisor, like we talked about. You yeah. got your guards, um, state selected witnesses. Maybe I mean there might be members of the state uh, government there to watch it all go down. Yeah, you got media there. Um, you also have. Uh, what are known as reputable citizens. And those are basically just average everyday citizens that witness executions. Is it like a lottery or something? No, it's like you contact your state DOC and say, hey, I want to I want to witness an execution. And they send right. you an application form. You explain why. You have to be over 18. You have to explain why you want to do this. But apparently the pool is thin enough that they're not real selective. As long as you don't say like, because I want to see him like bleed or something like that, <laughs> they they will let you do this. Yeah. Um, and apparently when there was a surge in executions in the 90s, Chuck, um, departments of corrections were so hard up because a lot of state law says you have to have six reputable citizens or 12 reputable citizens. Right. That their pool was running thin. So departments of corrections were actually advertising looking for people to witness executions. Why and do you like have newspapers to have that, That's just silly. It's just law. It's just that holdover from it's antiquated. having the public be a part of this yeah. state monopoly on violence. It's stupid, but so much so that they're trying to force it now. <laughs> well, I don't think it's a problem anymore. It was just in the 90s. Like, they were killing everybody. In the 90s? Yeah. All right. So you've got your witnesses there. Um, your, your execution chambers may have... Um, Clear glass with a curtain pulled. Mm -hmm. It may be a one-way mirror where you can only see into the uh, executed uh, and to the condemned. Um, it all depends on your state, basically. But it's generally going to be a pretty quiet thing. Oh, yeah. No matter where you are. It's a whole group of people that are just being utterly silent watching you. Or if it's there's too many family members, they might have a closed-circuit feed going on in another room. Yeah. If it's like, you know, if it's not roomy. And enough. apparently in Illinois, if you're a family member, the only way you can witness it is via closed circuit TV in another room. In Illinois? In Illinois. All right. That's another state. That's a new one. We haven't mentioned Illinois yet. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really make fun of them, though. <laughs> I guess their execution chamber is small. Yeah. We can make fun of them. There aren't yeah. any seats in there. Nice state budget. Um, you've got your timeline of events. Uh, it's all very much scheduled, like down to the minute. Um, you're going to have your person properly dressed. You're going to escort them yeah. into the chamber. I was thinking about this when I was reading this article, Chuck. Imagine like just taking a shower too fast. And right. so you just kind of have to sit there on the edge of the bed 
with the warden and whatever spiritual advisor they throw at you. Yeah. Waiting to go be executed. Yeah. That has to be the worst wait ever. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine it being much worse than that because they can't be like, well, we'll just get this started early. No, everything is on a very delineated schedule. Sure. And they're just going to have to sit there until the time comes to go to the execution chamber to get started. I just... So take a long shower? That stuck out to me, yeah. Okay. (laughs) The longest shower of your life. Um, The saddest shower of your life, for sure. Uh, You might be rolled in, like restrained beforehand and rolled in on a gurney. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're allowed to walk there yourself and then you're restrained... Uh, once you're in there, and <clears throat> at that point, they are going to go ahead and uh, pre-rig you with the IV tubes um, to lead you in there. And then those, once you get in there and you're strapped in, they will be fed into what's called an anteroom where the actual uh, death cocktails await and the executioner awaits. Yeah, it's like... Uh, an enclosed room away from the eyes of everybody, including the condemned and the witnesses. Oh, yeah. But you have two tubes. Most states require two. There's a backup to one to serve as a backup. At this point, you have your final statement, if you so choose. Mm-hmm. They'll read that out loud on the news that night. Yeah. Just be y- careful what you say. You can go on to... Um, are we giving advice to death row inmates? <laughs> <laughs> it just occurred to me that we are. Yeah. Um, you can go on to... Uh, Departments of Corrections websites, and most of them have last statements on there. Some of them are what you'd expect. Some are eerie. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and generally, the head is unrestrained, so they can look around and stuff. Although sometimes they do have like a hood or a sheet. Uh, again, it depends on the state and how they do it. Yeah. So the the condemned is strapped into a gurney, strapped down, but their head's under restraint. They've got uh, tubes leading into their... Uh, the IV needles. Yeah. Um, and it's ready to go. Yeah, I think uh, now's a good time for a message break, and then we'll get into the actual process after. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, 
Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so like you said, it's go time. Very solemn moment. Yeah. Um, for a long time, states were using something called a, 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 well, basically an electronic lethal injection machine. Which makes sense. It was what Kevorkian came up with, basically. It was, I'm sh- if not directly based on his model, it was at least very similar to it. But then they worried about mechanical failure, so they said, no, humans need to do this. I think they had mechanical failures. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, and so in some states you have one executioner and others you have a couple of executioners and they're again they're in this anteroom where the actual drugs are yeah. that the IV tubes are leading to from the execution chamber into the anteroom um and if you have a, a few different ones a few different executioners they're all putting drugs into IV tubes but you, they, none of the executioners know which one's the real IV tube and which one's just yeah. leading to uh, a mannequin. And that isn't actually a mannequin. <laughs> uh, that, that, you know that old trick. Like they used to do the same thing with uh, flipping the switch too. I think they had like several switches. Firing squads? Yeah, because they don't want the, uh, the one, any one person to have that weight. They can always think, I guess I had a 30%, 33% chance that it was me. Right. You know? Yeah. All right, so I guess we should move on to the drugs that are used. Um, it used to almost always be a three-drug cocktail, but things are getting weird these days, I've noticed. Yeah. Originally, it was three drugs. You would have an anesthetic, a paralyzing agent, and a toxic agent. And those were used for years and years. And then due to some circumstances, a bunch of different circumstances that converged, were in some cases down to one, like Joseph Paul Franklin was killed with just one drug. Well, I looked up almost every single execution in 2013 mm-hmm. used a single drug, uh, pentobarbital. Okay, which is an anesthetic. Yeah, and it's basically a substitute when they're in short supply of other ones. But I did see that it's actually illegal to use this drug this way, and the manufacturer is Danish mm-hmm. and was like, well, no, you can't use our drug that way. Right. So they started fighting uh, people who sold that drug to, like, state agencies. Exactly. It's very controversial. And states were um, trying to get this stuff any way they could. So since it was banned for use by correctional facilities yeah. for executions. The ultimate correction. The DEA was actually raiding departments of corrections and taking their drugs. Yeah. So um, because of this ban, because of the drug maker. And so first you had the drug maker um, that was making Penethol, right? Yeah. And then people were like, well, how about this? We have propofol. That's the anesthetic Penethol is. Right. Yeah. And, and so what they were replacing it with was propofol, which yeah. was Michael Jackson's milk that killed him. Did we get it right this time? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then the maker of propofol said, uh, well, how, if you, you can't use that to execute people. That's not what we made this for. Right. And they said, well, TS, we're going to use it anyway. And so the maker said, if you use that to kill anybody, we're going to cut off supplies to the entire United States, including hospitals, and you're going to have an enormous problem on your hands. Yeah. And so all of the hospitals contacted the departments of the corrections and said, do not use that. Like, we can't have a propofol shortage. Yeah, like, we need it. So now they're turning to compounding pharmacies, which are generally regulated mostly by the state, not so much by the feds, and um, trying to get their hands any way they can on some sort of general anesthetic. Uh, and the anesthetic, ideally, um, if they were using pentothal or pentobarbital? Pentobarbital, yeah. Um if you were in a hospital and you were put under general anesthesia, yeah. they would use about 100 milligrams of this stuff delivered over 10 to 15 seconds, and you would be out. It's an anesthetic. You wouldn't be asleep. You wouldn't be unconscious. You are under general anesthesia. You're not feeling anything. You're not anything. So that's 100 milligrams for just general anesthesia. When you're given a lethal injection of penobarbital, they give you five grams 5,000 yeah. milligrams, not 100 milligrams, 5,000 milligrams of this stuff. Yeah, and that's enough to kill you flat out. Um, and proponents of lethal injection will say they don't feel anything after that. Right. And again, that should just be enough to kill you, which is why a lot of states are just using that one drug now. Yeah. Um, in the original lethal injection cocktail, that was step one. Yeah. Once they administered the uh, anesthetic, they would flush the lines with saline solution. And then um, they would introduce the next one, which is a paralyzing agent. Yeah, that's basically a, the heaviest duty muscle relaxant you could ever imagine because it relaxes your muscles so much that your diaphragms and lungs don't function any longer. Yeah. Like it, that's a serious muscle relaxant. Right. So you just you stop breathing. So that's that's way to die number Two now. Yeah, and that takes about one to three minutes uh, for that one to take effect fully. So then that one's been kind of abandoned because uh, it's been criticized or the use of it's been criticized because a lot of people point out that that's really for the witnesses. Because without it, when somebody's dying, a lot of times they will writhe, they will sure. gasp for breath, they will um, their back will arch as much as it can when it's strapped down to a gurney. Yeah. When you administer a paralyzing agent, none of that happens. So the witnesses are like, oh, look, it looks like he wanted to die. Look at what a peaceful death that man just went through. <laughs> right. So it's for the witnesses. And then number two, it could also conceivably mask pain. Sure. So if it's masking pain, then it's also masking a possibly inhumane method of execution. Yeah. So they kind of discontinued the paralyzing agent. Um, but that was traditionally step two. And then once that one was administered, so are you getting the point here that like they're really going the extra mile to make sure you're dead in, yeah. the, in the 90s through lethal injection? Yeah, and you know what? I might as well go ahead and get into this. We just put our dog down two days ago, mm -hmm. and they do the same thing with that. It's the like paralyzing agent? Three different things were injected into her. It's like the first go-to-sleep thing, mm -hmm. and then the second uh, paralyzer, and then the final thing like... She's gone, but hey, let's just inject this just to make sure the heart is stopped. Was it... Okay, so it was the toxic agent, potassium chloride? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, they said it was a, a trade concoction for their company. I got you. But, okay, um, so then it probably wasn't potassium chloride because I don't think that's, not. that's proprietary. But 
in some states, the use of potassium chloride, the toxic agent, which is the third one, yeah, um, that's not even allowed for use on pets. But they were oh, really? using it on inmates. Because it induces cardiac arrest? Because it could conceivably cause pain. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I'm sorry about your dog, buddy. That's right. I appreciate that. And hey, thank you to everyone. I put that on the Stuff You Should Know while and people were super supportive. Well, yeah. And told a lot of their own stories of their pets passing. So I think maybe at some point I might put together a little like like you did the pet costumes. Mm-hmm. I might do like a pet memorial thing where people can send in. That would be very nice. And memorialize their pets. Stuff you should know. Anyway, um, I did find it interesting though, A, that I picked this topic. <laughs> yeah, I kept wanting to send you stuff about it like yeah. uh, uh, yesterday and I was like... And I, I picked it knowing, it, I guess it was just this weird subliminal thing, like maybe I was trying to work through it or something, I don't know. Yeah. But I did find it interesting, the triple drug cocktail the and the similarities. Yeah. I don't think it was the exact same stuff, but... It's the same process, basically. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so um, death from beginning to end, five to 18 minutes after the execution order is given, kind of just depends. Okay, so that's ideally. Remember, the execution order is when, like, it's it, you've moved into the, the execution chamber. Yes. And the warden says, it's like time to execute Like, the phone's not person. ringing. Right. The governor's not calling. Right. So, um that's when they start working on you, like putting in the IV tubes and all that stuff. Right. Now, remember, the whole point of 
um, execution in the United States criminal justice system is not to inflict pain or cause suffering. Right. It's simply to take that person's life in the most humane, efficient means possible. Right? Yeah. So what happens if you can't find a vein? That happens very frequently. Oh, yeah? There's a, there's a lot of cases of um, the condemned helpfully uh, saying, well, try this vein over here. I think this one... This one feels pretty good. Try this one. Right. Like helping these people like stick them to put these lethal drugs in them. Sure. Um, so, and that particularly is the case with IV drug users who have lots of collapsed veins. Um, it's also, Chuck, part of the problem when you don't have experienced medical personnel. Yeah. Which is one of the big controversies of lethal injection. Because if you notice, it has a lot of the trappings of a medical procedure. But it completely flies in the face of medicine sure. because the Hippocratic Oath says, first do no harm. Yeah. Well, carrying out or even assisting in an execution is doing harm. So the American Medical Association tried to pass a resolution saying, um, we're going to take the license of anybody who is involved in an execution. Right. And all, all the states said, no, you can't do that. We're going to protect the doctor's licenses because we need these people. And that's kind of a conundrum, you know, like, yeah. do you not have anything to do with an execution and let some prison guard try to find a vein and stick this person for 60 minutes yeah, and prolong the point from, okay, start executing to death. Sure. So this person's more aware and anxious and thinking about it. Or do you kind of throw your Hippocratic oath to the side and help this person's execution go as painlessly and humanely as possible? Yeah, finding a vein's not too tough, though. Uh, I was reading like botched, um, botched uh, really executions, and that's that's the number one that they can't find a vein. Yeah, what are they feeding these people? <laughs> you know, because they're not using heroin in prison, are they? Or are no, they? but I think if you used heroin for a significant portion of your life, your veins are collapsed forever. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think they grow back. Okay, so it's generally though a prison guard or somebody that works for the prison though that actually administers it, right? Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. And plus, also, there's another thing, too. If if they're not good at um, delivering the drugs, if they're not practiced at that, yeah. um, the flow of the drugs, if you push it in too fast, can cause a lot of pain and suffering. That's one. Right. That's another one, too, which is another reason why um, some states require that medical staff be on hand to assist with these things. Yeah. I mean, there's really no humane way to put someone, you know? So that's... To kill somebody. Like, you can't asphyxiate someone with feathers. Okay, no, and it's true, but I was looking around like, okay, if lethal injection isn't even considered humane, which a lot of people say, like, it's not. Right. There's, it's possibly there's a lot of pain. Um, one of the drugs that's being used these days is called uh, midazolam, uh-huh. and it's a sedative. It's not an anesthetic. So if you put somebody out with it, that doesn't mean that they can't feel pain any longer. Right. Um, but that's due to this shortage of pentobarbital. Um, people are using that. So they're saying, wait, we're using untested drugs. These people are possibly feeling excruciating pain, but you can't tell because we're using a paralyzing agent. Right. What? There's got to be another way to do this. And some people recently have been speaking up and saying... Heroin? <laughs> uh, no. No. But I think uh, there's probably a few seconds when you're introducing the pentobarbital where they're like, all right. This feels pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, it's called inert gas asphyxiation. Okay. So 
when you suffocate, um, apparently the pain and discomfort is caused by not being able to expel CO2. Right. Um, with inert gas asphyxiation, mm-hmm. you are inhaling a gas that's not oxygen, say pure nitrogen gas, but you're still capable of exhaling CO2, which means that the whole process should be painless, right? And unconsciousness takes effect in a couple of seconds, death a few more seconds after that. So they think it's possible that they may have figured out a the most humane method of capital punishment around inert gas asphyxiation. Are they like practicing that? No, but I, I suspect that if if this kind of reform thing continues going on, right. we'll see inert gas chambers pretty soon. Yeah. You know, the old firing squad is instantaneous, probably. No. If done right. Yeah, but it rarely is done right. That's the thing. What, what do you mean rarely it's done right? Give me a statistic. Well, okay. Um, you like sh- how many shooting firing squads percentage-wise aren't done pr- properly? So I would probably say the vast majority. Really? Yeah. Um, you're trying to, again, if you're doing something humanely and efficiently, you want to remove human error. So um, finding a vein, uh, introducing the drug at a proper rate, uh-huh. like all of these things are subject to human error, right? Yeah. Shooting a bullet at somebody from 50 feet or whatever, yeah. that's got all kinds of human error involved in it. Uh, I would say go read a, uh, and I'm not an activist, I'm not being an activist right. here. Um, go read this article called um, On the Possible Pain from Various Methods of Execution, yeah. I believe is what it's called. There's a guy in the 80s who basically went around and said, let me get all the evidence I possibly can uh-huh. from the different types of execution that people are put through to figure out how much pain and how frequently they feel pain, how much they feel as well. And he came up with this amazing study. And firing squads are not, they're bloody. They're not, they're not good. Well, I know they're bloody, but I didn't know that they were botched so that people lived most of the time after being shot by eight dudes in the head. But that's another thing. They don't aim for the head. A lot of times only one guy has a bullet. Where do they aim? The chest. The chest. So you're shot through the heart, right? And is that like all countries across the board or? I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm just saying, I would say go read that study. I, my money's on inert gas. Inert gas? Definitely not on firing squads. The guillotine. Well, that came out of that one reform movement from the late yeah. 18th century. That's as instant as it gets. No, it's not. Do you not remember our... Yeah, we said it's possible that the head is alive for a couple of seconds. Four seconds? Yeah. I feel like I don't even know you right now. <laughs> I got one last one. All right. Um, so there is a huge disparity in the death penalty as a whole um, among races. So it turns out 89% of capital cases feature a black or Hispanic defendant. Uh-huh. And then um, with victims, there's a big race disparity too. Uh, in death penalty cases in the United States, I think either last year or in the last few years, 77% of the victims have been white. 15% have been black, 6% have been Hispanic for the victims. Right. So it's um, disproportionately doled out against people who have killed white people. Right. Than it is to people who've killed black or Hispanic people. Gotcha. And other was like 2% or something like that. Interesting. You got anything else? I got nothing else. So lethal injection. Man, that was a weird one, huh? 
Uh, well, I mean, this is touchy stuff, you know. Uh, if you want to learn more about lethal injection, um, you can type that into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for a listener, mate. I'm going to call this what a long, strange trip it's been, because that's what Whitney called it. Hey, guys, I'm Whitney, and I'm a 20-something band teacher from Provo, Utah. My husband, also a band teacher, introduced me to your show in 2009 when he was commuting one hour each way to Park City every day. Uh, When I started my current job last year, I started listening to you guys after I realized how crappy radio was and I exhausted the music on my iPod. I started one uh, on episode one and just today caught up with the Werewolf podcast. Uh, Wow. Yeah, not bad. I was excited and sad all at the same time. We hear that a lot, actually. I know you get lots of emails and you're probably sick of them, but I felt like I had to write once I caught up. During the last school year, I had my first child, started my new job and moved twice. The second move being into our first home. Needless to say, with all this uh, change, I started to get pretty stressed and even depressed. On top of all this, I teach beginning band to 6th and 7th grade uh, kids. My job is very exciting and I love it, but I can get frustrated and even develop road rage at times. (laughs) Stupid kids! (laughs) Uh, Your podcast was my sanity through all this, dudes. I was able to focus my mind on exciting things like Barbie dolls and serial killers, and it all made my day a little bit brighter. So I just want to say how much I appreciate all the podcasts. I feel like I'm learning, keeping my mind engaged, and enjoying your banter. And I think my 18-month-old daughter also enjoys, since she's heard your voices since she was just a tiny thing. Hope you keep making them. Whitney Werner. Thanks a lot, Whitney. From Provo, Utah, band teaching. And we are shaping young minds, 18-month-old minds. Yeah. In utero, even, we've heard. Yeah. People, for some reason, play us. Forget teaching your kids sign language. Just have them listen to stuff you should know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you want to let us know how we have helped your life out or how we've influenced the development of your child, it's a good one, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email. And as always, check us out at our awesome website. It's called StuffYouShouldKnow.com. <laughs> For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Today's episode is brought to you by Altoids because, let's face it, unraveling the mysteries of the universe is tough work. But with Altoids, your breath will be stronger than a black hole's gravitational pull, more intense than an alien abduction, and more reliable than your phone's battery during a podcast marathon. When it comes to needing intense freshness, Altoids have you covered. Altoids are stronger than your favorite conspiracy theory, more intense than the latest true crime docuseries, and more reliable than a Bigfoot sighting. They're not just mints, they're curiously strong mints. Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today.